Curtain Talk. My name is Jordan Preston. This is Back of the Glass Podcast. And if A, my grandmother's initials are JP and she named my father, and B, my father's initials are JP and he named me, then C, the three generations of J names speaks volumes when it comes to our collective family ego. Excuse me, Glass. <laughs> glass. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me at the back of the class today is my dad, my literal father, the Jason Preston. Hi, dad. Hi. How's it going? It's going. So interesting being at the back of the class with you. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been at the back of the class. <laughs> it's been a long time since you've been in a class. That's true. Usually I'm the one, because I'm on the gap year, where, you know, I'm the one who doesn't really remember what a classroom is like and everyone else is in school. But this time I have the advantage over you. Yeah. How are you feeling going into this? Uh, I'm just feeling like uh, anything could happen. Mm, good one. Good one. <laughs> I have mentioned you before in the podcast, just in passing. Avid listeners should know that you are the king of red herrings. Um, so maybe I'll catch you on some red herring fallacies today. You might. Um, but we're not here. We're not here to put you through the ringer. That is not the intention today. Um, we are here to simply have a conversation about something that I think you will be interested in. I've had you down for this topic. You're upset with me because I didn't tell you the topic ahead of time. Too bad. Sucks to suck. But I'm excited for today. Are you excited for today? Yeah. I should ask because, you know, it's been so long. You are old, but we won't say how old you are, old okay. man. Yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of stories of you as a kid in school. They're probably not true. Well, you tell them. <laughs> and then half the time the stories change. So yeah. possibly correct. But what... Where did you sit in the class? What type of student were you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a little different because uh, when I started my education, it was in Canada. It was in Quebec. And uh, our family moved around. So not that we were running from the law or anything. <laughs> well, you but were. No, not yet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, your grandfather got uh, transferred to a job in New York. So we ended up moving to New York. And that was when I was in third grade. And so one of the significant things I remember when it came to education itself, when we left Montreal, I had just finished my times tables. And then when we arrived in New York, they were just starting their times tables. And keep in mind, these are all in the public school system. We lived in New York for about nine months. We left New York because grandpa got transferred or got a new job in Texas. The next school year when I started... They were also we, starting their times They had just started their times tables. So you you would expect that I'd be really good at my times tables, <laughs> but I'm not. I That's mean, why you were so hard on me when I had to learn my multiplication. You had... You got me a, uh, what are these called? Placemats? Placemats. You got me a placemat with yeah. all the like 1 to 12. Still not very good at it, but like you, every morning breakfast before school, you quizzed me. You were like, look down at that placemat while you eat your Cheerios and tell me what 8 times 7 is. Yeah. Well, it was all about uh, drill and kill, right? Going back to elementary, it's too long, it's too, it's too long ago for me to remember it. Right. Ex except the times that I do remember uh, when I was in the classroom, it was either at the back or right at the front because the educator, teacher, whoever it was, insisted that I sit up there in order to keep an eye on me. Mm -hmm. Yep. Was it the same? I mean, high school teachers don't really 
do that because they're meant to kind of let you take more of an independent course. And if you fail, you fail. And that's kind of the approach that most high school teachers take. Yeah. So did, I mean, things must've changed there somewhat. Once I was in high school, it was in Texas. It was in the States and their education system is terrible to begin with. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of distractions and being that you come from a bloodline of ADHD, I just didn't have the interest. And like you said, in high school, the teachers would step back and they would let you fall. And hopefully in a good system, they would be the safety net to catch you and then pull you back and give you some tools as to how to learn. But in the public system, that didn't work. So for the most part, I I don't remember even going to many classes. How I graduated, pff, I don't know. Grandma just like threatened someone. She just walked into an office and she was like... I if you hold him back, I will make your life hell. Yeah, I never even got held back. When I did go to school in 11th grade, I ended up going to a college prep school in Cheshire, Connecticut. And that year was probably one of the most significant years for me. I struggled because it was very, very controlled or, or structured, I should say. Everything down to your study time in the evening was in your dorm room, doors open, proctor walking up and down the hallway. And I mean, I mastered sitting at my desk and sleeping, like in the sitting position. But it came back to me when I didn't have the work done. Uh, because those those teachers and professors actually did exercise their right as a safety net and got me the help. So as much as I struggled with D's, I learned more in that one year than I think I learned in my in the whole education system in Texas. Here we go. We just had a perfect monologue, short speech about the benefits of actually good teachers who care about their students. And then second up question, what is your experience with philosophy? Oh, with philosophy? Mm -hmm. Well, philosophically speaking. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, none other. We don't do right. anything other than that yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, no formal. I didn't take any formal philosophy courses or... But I believe that, you know, going through high school, one of the things that I learned was I would never, I, I never really followed the, the path of others. I always looked within myself and said, okay, what makes sense? What doesn't? And that comes to a lot of the, a lot of the things and where I am now with my, you know, with my business, with my personal life. And it has to do with creative problem solving and just looking at what's in front of you, what the options are. Once you choose those options before you do them, what the outcome will be or could be. From, from what I gather from that and that sentence, and then also just knowing you, is that you've figured out at kind of a younger age than most people, your own personal philosophy. And you happen to have a lot of the skills that that philosophy needs to study philosophy to be a philosophical person. It is all about thinking and you don't even there's not one way to think properly. But most youth, most adolescents don't even realize how important finding a method of thought is. Well, when you're talking about that, one of the things that comes to mind for me is back when I was growing up, we didn't have escape rooms, right? Like the games mm -hmm. that you would go and you would entrench yourself into a game where you're living it. Depending on what game you go to, the different games or puzzles, in most cases, they all use a different method of thinking. You can have a group of four people and they can go into a room to try to solve the puzzle. They're using a certain theory to get from A to B. And then you go into the next puzzle and that theory will not work in that room because mm -hmm. whether it's 
anagrams or whatever it might be, you're not going to get there because it's a completely different train of thought. Mm-hmm. And I know you're a big fan of escape rooms. Fun fact for everyone listening, my father uh, has built escape rooms. To clarify, <laughs> we I've been hired yeah, by right. companies that have escape rooms to go in and take the stories that they have, like with a Jeep, you jack it up or a vehicle, you'd soup it up. They've come to us and said, okay, here is our storyline. So I didn't create the storyline. Right. You can figure out one way of, of thinking and one way of processing and analyzing something. And then you're going to try and use that in the room next door. And it's just not going to work. You're going to need a different way of thinking about it. That is the benefit of studying philosophy, especially at an earlier age, because you're training your brain, be flexible with how you wrap your head around things. And that's Good one, Dad. That's more epistemology because we're on the season of ethics, but that was a great epistemological. (laughs) Is that a word? I just made it a word. I'm sure it is, but it's a stupid word, but it is. Um, Speaking of random things that we've covered in other seasons, did you like my syllogism that I started off with? The one about the the ego in our family? Uh, So-so. You don't think it's accurate? I don't think, no, I don't think that me being named JP had to do with your grandmother's ego. And I don't think that my naming you JP had to do with my ego because the truth is, is it wasn't, it wasn't just me that came up with your name. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's true. Yeah. Well, what comes to mind when you hear the word ego? Is that a word you hear a lot? No, no. Are you, do you have any emotional I think connection like, to it? When I hear ego, I think of like a ego. Oh. <laughs> an ego waffle. That's quite funny. Yeah. Well, that would make sense too. Yeah. That would be connecting the words. Yeah. You don't resonate at all with the word ego? No. No? I feel like, and I say this from a place of absolute love and kindness. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, and I say this as your daughter. Who, is this a roast? No, who is completely <laughs> aware of the fact that yeah. I am so much like you. Yeah. I think that your personality, like mine, can often be, it's easy for people to think that you and I have a big ego. People that are on the outside, mm-hmm. right? Not really friends, but acquaintance situations mm-hmm. based on their perspective of you or of me or of the combination of the two mm-hmm. that we're egotistical. Yes. Just right. because this is this alone, this sentence here alone is going to make me sound egotistical to someone okay. who doesn't know me. Uh, we have a lot of knowledge and we like to share it with everyone. And somehow, and no matter what conversation, it's a bypassing conversation where people like to talk about the weather. We find ways to, we want to teach people something. Oh, I happen to know something about that. And I'll tell you right now. And hearing that repetitively can make someone think like they just always want to share what they know. It's all about them. Got it. I look at it from a perspective of semantics. Is it that it's an ego or is it something else? Is it Mm. confidence? Well, good. Really good that you brought up semantics. I actually have the definition of ego right here. Definition of ego is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance. So that's like a spectrum. That's a sense, right? People generally hear the word ego and they automatically jump to the negative things that they associate with egotistical. Right. But egotistical also have the definition. Um, excessively conceited or absorbed in oneself. But in reality, the word ego alone doesn't have anything to do with those negative characteristic traits. It's just a way to measure your sense of self-importance, which is important. Everyone needs to have a sense of self-importance. That's how you figure out your confidence level or things like that. And the reason why I bring that all up today is because we are going to be discussing the ethical consequentialist normative theory called egoism oh my goodness Woo-hoo! 
a lot of big words in there. Well, egoism is actually the shortest word. Yeah. So lucky you. Um, that's <laughs> not why I picked it for you. Are you offended that I picked you for egoism so far no. in advance? No. Okay, good. Don't be. Well, we just covered ego alone doesn't no. mean anything negative. So no reason to be offended. I've learned that it's also it's not about how you're labeled or how people perceive you, but it's how you perceive yourself and what you are or who you are. Very well said. Well spoken, well put. Thank you. First thing to jump into egoism, there is a difference between ethical egoism and psychological egoism. People tend to, just like the word egotistical with ego, people tend to jump to the negative characteristic traits, but that's the psychological version of egoism. Psychological egoism is the idea that people only and always act in their own self-interest, that we are hardwired to do that as humans, which is kind of a bummer. No one wants to be told, hey, you're selfish and there's nothing you can do to change that. We'd like to believe that we can be better. Yeah, that there's room for growth. Yeah, as a species. And that's psychological egoism. But today we're talking about ethical egoism, which is different. Ethical egoism doesn't say we are all selfish. It actually says we ought to be selfish. So it's not saying what we are. It's saying how we should be, which isn't nearly as much of a bummer. It's just an interesting perspective to have. Yeah. Because just a reminder, <clears throat> egoism, normative ethical theory, which means it's all about how we should live in order to live a good life. It's a hypothetical of if the world looked this way and we acted in this way, things would be better. Right. This season, we are looking at consequential theories, meaning any theory we look at will judge a person's actions as either right or wrong, depending on the result that the action creates. We've covered utilitarianism, which says an action is right if it results in the maximum goodness in a society. We've covered hedonism, which says an action is right if it results in maximum pleasure and minimal pain. And egoism says that an action is right if it maximizes good things for yourself. So because of this, egoism as a practice argues that in order to be a successful ethical person, you should always focus on doing the things that benefit you. Does it go on from there or is it just, or, or is that it, you period? Because I use that as a philosophy to live. Mm -hmm. You need to always focus on yourself first, but not at the expense of other people. Mm -hmm. The reason for focusing on yourself first is so that, you know, physically you need to focus on yourself first because if you're not, if you're not at a hundred percent physically, then how can you be there for other people to be able to support them and whatever they need? And the same emotionally, if you're not, if you're not 100% there, you're too busy absorbed in helping somebody else at your expense, then you are not giving everything you can. So you should right. always put yourself first. It's like the, uh, here's the funny thing for, for anyone who doesn't know, which why would you know, unless you're literally yeah. friends with me. Um, my dad worked at the airport for a really long time. We've been on a lot of airplanes together and it's like the thing that you hear at the beginning of every, uh, airplane ride which is, you know, if the air masks come down, yeah. you assist yourself before you assist the person next to you, whether that's a child, a pregnant person, or someone who's incapable of doing it themselves. Yeah. Because you can't go to help the other person because God forbid you take too long. Now we have two people who right. are out as opposed to doing yourself first and being able to assist the person next to you. Yeah. So it's just, it's that mentality. And I completely agree with you. Good question, because we are going to explore all of that. Whether it is just you and you alone or like, oh, we care about other human beings. 
There's a lot of different sides. Right. So we're going to look at that. There's actually two types of egoism. The first type is individual egoism. Uh, this is the idea that everyone should do. So everyone in the world should do what's best for me. Any action that you make, dad, is right only if it serves my, Jordan Preston's, interests. That's individual egoism. This is very much a solipsist idea. Solipsism, big word, not going to dive into a whole other unit, but solipsism is like the, it's a philosophical theory that I am the only thing that exists. If you were a solipsist, you'd, you'd think Jason Preston is the only thing that exists. It's funny because it's it's literally just a theory of selfishness. It's like the saying, the world doesn't revolve around you. A solipsist says, actually, yeah, it does. Who knows if the world exists? Only I exist. So it's the Truman Show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except at the end, Truman finds out. But like during the beginning, the beginning half, it's the Truman Show. Only right. I exist. The idea that in order to make the right decision and to avoid the wrong one, everybody in the world must do what's best for me. That means that I'm the measurement for right and wrong. So in order to differentiate right and wrong, you need me to be alive. So that means that ethics or morality dies when I die, which is illogical in my opinion. The second option, second type, I see as the more logical version of egoism, which is what we call universal egoism. So this one is the easier one to understand. It's the one that says everyone in the world should do what's best for themselves. That an action you take is right if it benefits you, and an action I take is right if it benefits me, and an action she takes is right if it benefits her, and so on and so forth. Every person for themselves. That's pretty much the motto in this one. And so from here on out, when I talk about egoism, I'm only referring to universal egoism. I also mentioned in the first episode of season four how every theory has its critics, and I am not separate from that group when it comes to egoism. I have some things that I don't understand. I have some things that I do. But my whole thing is that I don't know if egoism as a whole can be considered a normative practice. Because if hypothetically we are all supposed to follow egoism, that means that someone or multiple people have to be in charge of teaching egoism and advocating on behalf of egoism. As an egoist, however, I can't advocate for egoism because it would go against egoism. It's much easier to be successfully self-centered if everyone around you is not as self-centered as you are. So I could, as an egoist, recommend egoism to you, but I would never do that because that would not be serving my best interest. Right. Why would a selfish person ever say to, to the masses, not just to one person, like, right. hey, I'll let you on a secret. If you're selfish, it's easier to get through life. I'm supposed to be teaching everyone. If you're selfish, it's, it's easier to get through life. But it wouldn't make it easier for me as the selfish person. Right. But the thing is, is like when you when you look at that theory, it's not so much about because when you talk about and this can go on a complete tangent when you talk about sharing that information with mm -hmm. somebody, you're teaching somebody, mm -hmm. you know, the first thought that you have is. You're out there and you're you're teaching them or sharing it with them directly, not indirectly. Mm. Because you can teach people things like you you learned a lot over the years that you've been on this planet mm -hmm. through modeling and just clarifying, not modeling like like not like, like walking down yeah, a runway like, a catwalk a model. model. Like, that's okay. No, as in modeling within not just the household, but within the environment. So you know, if you come from a family that is a really close extended family that gets together at least once a week or whatever it is, and you know, the communication is however it is, that's being modeled to you as the norm. Whereas somebody that's estranged from their family, 
what's being modeled for them is going to be completely different, right? So you're saying that the idea, because in philosophy, every theory, every hypothetical theory is posed as if someone needs to teach the people how to follow this theory. But you're saying that for egoism, it could be just as simple as, well, the more people doing it, the more people are exposed to it, and that's teaching indirectly on its own. Yeah, I think that's even on more than just the egoism theory. I think on a lot of things, but being on this topic, yeah, if, you, if that person at the, like I went to a dealership and, you know, they're having a sale and they only have 40 of this one car and there's 50 people in line, well, guess what? Like people are going to be pushing to get their car first. Mm-hmm. So you learn it and you go, okay, well, that worked. You know, walking up and, and being friendly, if you use, if you use uh, examples of, you know, you get more with honey than you do with whatever. Yeah, I don't even know what the quote is, but yeah. yeah. You get more bees using honey, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. We're on the same page. Okay, interesting. Might bring that back, that theory of not having to directly teach something right. to get because taught. because you're right how could it be taught if by teaching it you're going against the actual philosophy uh, right. theory but another thing in terms of like criticism is just that egoism is simply a bunch of selfish people and nothing more than that to just dismiss it don't even listen to them no need to take it seriously within the ethical realm which is not entirely true you can argue against it you can play devil's advocate yeah. Egoists are not pro-selfishness. They're not out arguing that being selfish is innately good. It's not naturally good to be selfish or self-centered. What they're really arguing is that we as humans are not in any fundamental way obligated to not be selfish. There's nothing which a lot of other ethical standards are like, well, we have this in us that we need to give to people, or we have this in us that we need to care about the human life. That's an innate thing that we give value to. And all that egoists say is that despite what people have told you, there's no innate thing in the human species that says we're not allowed to be selfish. We have the freedom to choose whether we would like to be selfish or not. And that's the biggest thing that egoists are out arguing. Then is that is that putting is that putting the onus or the ownership on each individual to to be able to say, well, I want only for me now, but five minutes from now, no, I don't want only for me. I want for everybody. Well, ego is still stressed upon the idea of doing what's best for you. Yeah. Like if I'm talking to you, I'm like, well, uh-huh. at the end of the day, you do what's best for you. Now, what's best for you is going to be different than what's best for her. And saying what's best for you doesn't mean killing everyone in your way and slashing them. Like if you grow up in a philanthropist household and your parents are rich and they have a lot of money and they just give, 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 give. Your personality, you like to give. An egoist would never say you can't give. The point is that what's best for you is to give, 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 give. What's best for the person next to you might not be that because they don't have as much money as you. Right. But but other people will be able to, you know, if you're... If your concern is what other people think, mm-hmm. it's, right? it's wrong. Then, right. Then, then all of a sudden, yes, I get pl- what gives me pleasure is to give, 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 whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's whatever. They can look at that and go, well, it's not about you then. It's about others. Like, yeah, you're using others as the catalyst to make yourself feel good. But in fact... But then that's not what's best for you. So if someone is giving, giving just for the pleasurable feeling or the validation, that that pleasure might not be the best thing for them. What the best thing for them might be invest in a therapist and figure out how to get validation for yourself. But no matter what... 
An egoist will never say, giving is bad, taking is good, nor will they say, taking is good, giving is bad. Right. It's just really stressing on your individual ability to sit down and figure out what's best for you and cut out the background noise, cut out what everyone else is telling you what's best for you. Because they're trying to get rid of this socially constructed idea of what a good person looks like. Right. Their whole thing is that society needs to recognize that we have the freedom to be selfish just as easily as we have the freedom to be selfless. This whole thing is because egoism is founded off of individualism. Individualism, really not a, a concept that I have to explain because it's literally just the word individual. It, it's just something people follow. Kind of just a construct that emphasizes ideas of freedom, independence, of your ability to choose. Oh, and self-reliance too. No one says you have to live in a cave by yourself, but we want you to recognize that you can survive on your own. Right. That's what individualism says. It says, yeah, we're, we come from cavemen and we've always depended on our families and we get that. But also at the end of the day, as a, as a species and as people, we have the ability to take care of ourselves. And that's an important thing. I think there's a difference though between, well, I say a difference. I mean, you have to, you have to define, yes, physically. Yeah. You know what? I could start a fire on my own. I can, I can live in a cave or wherever it might be, or I can successfully support myself Mm -hmm. Right. Not others, but myself and, and be self-sustaining yeah. versus more of a communal type environment, which is villages where it's like, OK, I'm going to raise the cattle. You're going to grow the corn. And then someone else is slaughtering the chickens right. for chicken. Yeah. People on a kibbutz probably don't follow individualism. Not that they don't realize their, their self-worth, but that's not the lifestyle that they choose to go about life. They think yeah. that everything should be communal, whereas people who follow individualism, again, they're not lone wolves. They, they don't shun off the rest of society, but they have a lifestyle or belief about them that when it comes down to it, they can rely on themselves. Right. And they value that. And I get that. I get both sides. Um, and individualism is responsible for a lot of things. It's responsible for feeding into the creation of like political concepts like libertarianism, like anarchism, which is just, you know, the word anarchy. You can picture what I mean by anarchism. Mm -hmm. Because of that, knowing the connection that individualism has to egoism, it's not surprising that egoism has a large effect on politics, on social, you know, cultures, on stuff like that, which is kind of good and bad. So we're going to touch on the good and bad. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. You look dead behind your eyes. I know. I'm so tired. <laughs> okay. So here's the good news. Okay. Individualism fights against almost all scenarios where an institution limits a person's choice. So whether that's the government limiting your choice or really any group, like any, right. it, it could it could apply to general society having some sort of way on what you can or cannot do. Individualism says, no, we're not about that. So in the same way, individualism is also against the idea of religions or traditions being used to interfere with an individual's freedom of choice. Because we live in Canada, we do talk about Canada, but for the most part, we're talking about Western society. We're talking about North America because we hear about the U.S. all the time. And you think about the amount of controversy around freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of, freedom to do what you want to do. Yeah, um, to carry your gun. Yeah. That, everything, everything in it. Right. Um, and I hear that and I think that it's a good thing because my mind immediately goes to the conversation around pro-life or pro-choice. Because here's what I think, and I'm not, I don't think I'm being controversial when I say this. Okay. I happen to know more than three women, not teenagers, not people my age, women, women who have either had kids or of the age where they could have had kids who are pro-choice 
but would never get an abortion themselves, right? Whether that is for religious reasons, spiritual, cultural, emotional, doesn't matter. The idea still behind pro-choice is that you have a choice. Right. Whereas pro-life is limiting individuals' choice based on your personal belief. Whereas if you were put in that scenario, if we were all pro-choice, you would have the choice to not get an abortion. Correct. So when I hear this specific thing about individualism and how it feeds into egoism, right? Do what's best for you. That entire philosophy, you always do what's best for you. I think, yeah, this this is a good thing because at the end of the day, people shouldn't be held back in their actions by other people's beliefs from different groups. Again, as long as it's not at somebody else's expense. Right. Well, lots of pro-life people would say that's at a baby's expense. Right. So then you get into the whole debate of is a fetus a baby? Yeah. Right? And I think that, you know, as far as the pros and cons go, somebody that was arguing that you shouldn't have the ability to choose for yourself, they'd say, you know, it's not about what's right for you, what's best for you versus the baby. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like bad aspects to it too. So this is how we get to like when you take that kind of almost identical thought process and just tweak it a little bit or someone hears that and in their mind they just tweak it a little bit. The same principles that we just use to say, you know, pro-choice is is important in in other aspects other than abortion. Just pro-choice. I'm pro-choice. That can be skewed to argue things from the other side as well that I don't necessarily agree with, right? You brought up, you know, gun laws, stuff like that. There is like an element of like, well, if I was going to follow individualism, if I was going to follow egoism, then yeah, the government shouldn't be able to limit what choice of gun I get to purchase. I think to myself, yeah, the government should be able to limit the choice of gun you get to purchase because what on earth do you need a military rifle to if if all you're doing is shooting a bear every year? Well, that's where as long as it's not at the expense of somebody else. Right. Of other of others. And it doesn't have to be another individual. It could be other animals. It could be let's say that you're let's say that you just bought a, a house or you bought a property and there's a house on it. And the idea is it's like, okay, well, I got this property and I have this great idea. I want to build this really grandiose house, blah, blah, blah. But in order to do that, you have to dig down. You notice that your next door neighbor has this huge hundred year old willow tree and it just so happens that the roots are all on your property and the minute you start to dig you're going to kill that willow tree Mm -hmm. so by law in canada anyways and i think most places most people would think of this as a logical thought pattern but the roots are on my property therefore they're mine and i have a choice to cut them the outcome to that is now you are infringing upon someone else's happiness slash what they want but you're doing what's best for you which an egoist would say well slightly we'll get into whether that hypothetical you're actually doing what's best for you because you need to think more down the line how important is your relationship with your neighbor if that's going to start a neighborhood war and you live in a big community that everyone loves each other that's probably not not what's best for you how about if after you know 10 years that tree dies and now it gets to be brittle and then in a windstorm or in our environment if the tree dies then the likelihood is it is going to fall down where is it going to fall on your house or on your neighbor's house right (laughs) oh right yeah if it's do what's best for you is it do what's best for you in the moment no do what's best for you you, but people might people people go to in the moment versus 
do what's best for you in the long run. I just think a lot right? of people who skew things or who, who are on the opposite side don't don't think about it all that much. Yeah. Yeah. Like who knows? Right. right? But egoism, hey, do what's best for you. And a lot of people aren't thinking in the future or they is just it, right. have skewed senses of reality, which is why I want to bring up libertarianism, anarchism two political concepts that argue and defend the idea that, you know, it's completely unethical to prohibit individuals from exercising their freedom to choose what action to take. Any political system likes to look at things as black and white and they, sure. when they probably shouldn't, right? So this is this comes at it from black and white. It's unethical, no matter what, for you to limit my choices of actions. And the first thing I immediately think of is anti-maskers right now. Okay. Right. Yeah. That specific movement, egoism almost makes what they're doing okay, which I disagree with. First of all, a lot of anti-maskers don't think that what they're doing is actually suffer, like causing people suffering. Like a lot of them right. doubt the fact that sure. their actions have any health implications on them, and they like to just even if they don't doubt so that, so they're making decisions based on based on being uninformed or based on not believing what a reality is or a circumstance is. Mm -hmm. But right. if we take away those people and we look at the people who actually completely are aware of the fact that there is a pandemic going on yeah. and they're still out fighting simply based on the fact they say, nope, that's a, that's a fallacy. I've actually heard online a couple of people, a couple yeah. of anti-maskers say, stop pulling up the fact that people are dying. The fact of the matter is my freedoms are at risk. So they're saying, I don't care. That's a whole other topic. Right. The topic that I'm arguing is my freedom of choice to not wear a mask. This is one of the more prominent criticisms of egoism is that if an action in any small way benefits an individual, it allows that person to make decisions that can be detrimental to society. Right. Um, or to others. Right. Yeah. Bill Nye, you know, the science guy. Yeah. Uh, big fan of him. I know that you liked him for a while. I don't think you stopped liking him, but like mm -hmm. there was a moment where he had a show, I think, on Netflix maybe. Yeah. And it was more like for adults. Mm -hmm. And he was really good at that. Love Bill Nye. Great guy. Did an interview with MSNBC earlier this week that I caught. When a reporter asked him about the anti-mask movement, I loved what he said. So let me read you word for word. This idea that everybody has the freedom to do anything is, we all know that's not exactly right. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater if there's no fire and so on. You can't drive on both sides of the road, even though you pay taxes on both sides of the road. And my gosh, I love Bill Nye. I love that whole thing. But specifically, like, it, it makes a lot of sense what he just said, because a big argument among anti-maskers seems to be that enforcing masks interferes with their individual freedom of choice. But you, you don't always have a freedom of choice. We see that in everyday society. Well, correct. You can't yell fire when there's not a fire. That's illegal. You get fined. So in our society, as much as we want to give freedoms to people, whether it's in Canada, we have our Charter of Rights, whether it's in the States, you know. They got, have whatever. They've got all their amendments. We've got our Charter of Rights. And, and just like Bill Nye said, like you said, you can't go and yell fire in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. You can't drive on the wrong side right. of the road. Like our society but, is created to ensure safety. Well, this is it. It's all, and, and whether it's to say common sense sort of loses its saying because I believe, this is my personal belief, mm -hmm. is that society ha is, is losing or common sense is being diluted based on all the technology that we have or maybe just the lack of information people have or the lack of, of thinking that people 
are going through. Mm -hmm. And part of it might be that we have this melting pot society of theories coming from all different parts of the world that are all coming here, right? Different information is available at your fingertips. So one, you're getting rid of your ability to think for yourself because you think I can just search up anything and you're not going to get the same answer on two different smartphones, right? Right. So it's like... If you don't believe that it's not going to have an effect on you, doesn't mean it won't just because you believe that. Right. Like you can't walk around. I mean, that'd be great if we could walk around saying, I can't get sick. And because I believe that, I'm not going to get sick. Right. Like, I mean, I don't know. There are probably people on the road who feel like they're like untouchable and they probably do commit kind of like road. They, they probably break the rules of the road. However, yes. break the rules of the road to what extent? Speeding is different than just arbitrarily deciding I'm going to drive on the, on the right on the wrong side of the road yeah. because I can't be touched. The right. fact of the matter is, I guess people aren't stupid enough to believe that, and yet they do believe that they're untouchable with a so, co- with COVID because they can't right. see it. Yes, as opposed to seeing a car in front of them. Right. Certain things are more dangerous than others. The yeah. question is: is as individuals, what is the risk versus the outcome? Right. What's the risk of wearing a mask for you? Is my question. Right. What's the risk of, of and, putting on a mask? Yeah. Because I came up with this analogy the other day. Uh, I'm really proud of it, honestly. An anti-masker, and I'm going to say a sentence, but I'll continue with the long explanation. Okay. An anti-masker during the pandemic is like Tarzan wanting a burger. You ready for this? Okay. You know how lots of businesses have those signs up that say no shirts, no shoes, no service? Yeah. Especially when you're near a beach where people are typically without shirts and shoes? Yeah. Okay. I want you to imagine this. I'm setting the scene. Tarzan walks into a diner with no shirt and no shoes. The manager says, did you see the sign? I'm going to need you to put on a shirt and shoes before I can allow you in this diner. Tarzan says, I won't wear a shirt and shoes. I find them both extremely constricting. I can't move as freely in a shirt. I can't balance in shoes. And by you asking your customers to wear those things, you are forcing your patrons into physical discomfort. The manager responds, everyone else sitting in this diner is wearing shirts and shoes, which leads me to believe I'm not forcing my customers to make themselves uncomfortable at all. It seems as though you might just not be used to wearing shirts and shoes. Tarzan says, of course I'm not used to that. I grew up in the jungle. I've never had to wear shirts and shoes in my life. Why should I start now? Because you're telling me to? No. The manager says, you can do whatever you like as a human being, but I'm simply telling you that at my diner, you must be wearing these two things. It's the rule here and the rule at the diner next door and the diner down the block. If you do find a diner that allows you to enter with no shoes on and shirtless, good for you. Eat a burger there. But chances are, upon entering and sitting down half naked and barefoot, you're going to make all the people around you extremely uncomfortable and unhappy. My suggestion is you practice wearing shirts and shoes for a week straight and come back to eat at a diner when you're comfortable doing the things that everybody else has already mastered. So in one final attempt at winning an argument he's already lost, Tarzan responds, Just because everyone is wearing shirts and shoes now doesn't make it normal. We lived thousands of years without shirts or shoes, and I still don't understand why I need to change how I function in the world because everyone else has. The manager only has to respond in one way. We survived without shirts or shoes, that's right. We also survived without diners. Times changed. People started putting shirts and shoes on, and at some point, diners were also invented. And as the world evolves, you either evolve with it or not. But your inability to understand that you cannot keep one foot in the past and one foot in the present is your own downfall. If you'd like to experience the benefits of a modern age society, which includes restaurants, movie theaters, airplanes, you must wear shirts and shoes. It is the exact same thing with masks. 
There is no reason why you think just because it's a sudden change that it didn't happen over a period of a year. Guess what? We didn't always wear shirts and shoes, but if you try and walk into a restaurant without shirts and shoes, they're going to kick you out. We didn't always wear masks, but if you try and walk into a restaurant without a mask, they're going to kick you out. And maybe there are restaurant owners who are breaking the rules. Go there. Have a blast. But you can't get upset with society for changing because the fact of the matter is the government isn't forcing you to wear a mask. We're not. We're not. You don't have to wear a mask. You also don't have to go to restaurants. You also don't have to go to the movie theaters. We are never holding you down and putting a mask on you. You have to put a mask on in order to benefit from modern age society. You want to follow egoism and say, you know, I'm doing what's best for me. Well, this restaurant did what's best for them. They decided what's best for their business and it was to follow the rules. Yes, that's right. Point blank, period. At the end of the day, just in its appearance, in all the in all the things that we brought up, egoism, surface level, it doesn't seem like it would be a good ethical standpoint because everyone looking out for themselves doesn't really avoid people putting others through pain. And putting others through pain doesn't really sound like it fits into the realms of ethics. I mean, right. surface level. So I guess the real question that we have to ask ourselves is whether an ethical practice or an approach to being moral can be anything but altruistic can be anything but serving others because you look at utilitarianism you look at ancient greek doctrines you even look at hedonism virtue ethics to a certain extent and you see people helping people you see a selfless concern for the well-being of others and even i mean forget philosophy even just our common sense if 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 you're lucky enough to still have that um you know when someone talks about being ethical you immediately think of being good to other beings So do you need to serve the people around you in order to be a good person? True egoists say, no, you don't need to serve others, but you probably, in most circumstances, should serve others in order to serve yourself. The rationale behind this is based on the idea of basic human cooperation. Again, we're not lone wolves. We're not hermit crabs. Everyone needs other people to cooperate with them in order to get anything done. Our success depends on the involvement of others, not necessarily the help, the involvement, the cooperation. If, if it's in my best interest to build myself a boat for whatever reason, we're not even going to question it. If it's in my best interest to build a boat, I can build that boat on my own. I'm not saying I need others to help me. What I'm saying is you need their cooperation. Because the opposite of cooperation is opposition. That's people fighting against it. What about just complacency, though? It's not the opposite. Um, I know, but it doesn't mean that there has to be... Complacency is cooperation. Neutral is cooperation. You're cooperating with my idea of I want to build a boat. And if you're neutral, you're not getting in the way of that, which... I would fit into cooperating. If I act as if, this is what true egoists will say, if I act as if the interests of others do not matter, those other people will not cooperate with me. Instead, they will oppose me. They will fight me. Without cooperation, I can try and build a boat all I want and everyone around me will be standing in my way. So according to egoism, it's actually in your best interest then to make decisions as if the interests of others are equally as important. That's what an egoist would say, at least. But I want to know your personal opinion after everything we've talked about today and also your own personal life experience because when I was a kid, you'd love to pull out the like, because I'm older and I know more and I've gone through, I've lived, I've lived longer than you have. It's all about the life experience with you. Right. Do you, this is the big question. Yes. Do you need to serve people around you in order to be a good person? Hmm, that's a... That's a very philosophical question. Oh, hey, it's very on brand <laughs> right. for this podcast. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I would imagine you probably do. Whether I would choose the word need or want, that's another story. But I think that, you know, when it when it comes down to it on paper, yeah, I think in order to be a good person, you need to be able to serve other people. Because if you're not serving other people, then the fact is you're doing it at the expense of other people, which circles all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> you do what's right for you as long as it's not at the expense of others. I have a, a thing hanging in my room from grade 10, which was an interesting year for me. Uh, a lot of self-evaluation uh, along with growth. It's not the most beautifully eloquent thing in the world, but it, it paints a good picture of where I was in life. I wrote, lifting yourself up doesn't take pushing other people down. Right. Good conversation, Dad. How was this? Are you feeling better now than how we started? Are you still just as tired? Are you? I'm just you... as tired. Nothing to do with the. Nothing to do with our conversation. Okay, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't put you to sleep. No, okay, no, no, good. no. Okay. Do you feel like ready for the day? Of course, ready for the weekend. Woo! Weekend. That's right. This will be coming out on a Monday, but. Why, why is this coming out on a Monday when we're... all the rest of them come out on Fridays? Oh, uh, wow! Have fake fan. I changed to Monday like a couple weeks ago. Like, okay, edit this one out. No, we're keeping it. <laughs> You're going to know now. Hey, it's your first time back in a classroom. This is a pretty good experience. Yeah. For your first time back. Oh, yeah. You know, from all the classes that you missed in high school. I didn't feel any pressure. See? You're not getting graded. Turns out you were getting graded. I've been testing you this entire time. Good job. Well, I guess this is circling back to, I really don't give a shit what other people think. (laughs) Good. (laughs) As Um, long as I'm doing the right thing, and if everybody were to go through life, just thinking before they do, what's the right thing? Not necessarily in the moment, but in the big picture. Dad, is there anything you'd like to plug before we go? Oh my gosh. Everybody go get vaccinated. doesn't matter what vaccine you get. Just go get vaccinated and uh, enjoy life to the fullest as long as it's not at other people's expense. Nice comeback. Nice tie around. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. My name is Jordan Preston. This has been the Back of the Class podcast with my dad. So quirky. And if a... You do need to serve the people around you in order to be a good person. And B, I'm planning on becoming a server at a restaurant soon. Then C, my job description is going to be being a good person. Excuse me, class. (laughs) Class. (laughs) 